Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 73. The crew is here with you. Chaz, as always. Seth, what is up? What's going on, guys? Doing okay. Richard, you're back. We missed you. I am back from the great north. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're happy to have you back. Uh, If anyone tuned in last week, we didn't have Richard, but he's back now. It's a quiet week, but... Luckily, uh, thanks to everyone, to, uh, to everyone who listens and all you guys out there, uh, we have a ton of fish mail to address, so that's always great. We love answering them, and it, it turns out that it'll likely take most of the podcast to answer all of them. Uh, so that's the main part of the docket. Uh, we're also going to just mention briefly, we're going to talk about Eternal Masters because it did release. We should say something about it. Uh, I guess I'm going to open it to the floor to both of you, and then I'll, I'll chime in as well. Uh, so what do you guys think about Eternal Masters thus far? I have no idea. <laughs> so <laughs> all I know is my local game store, I was playing Modern because I didn't want to play Eternal Masters, but literally like 80% of the store was playing Eternal Masters. So hugely popular, way more popular uh, than uh, a new set draft. Uh, I did notice people going like full tilt. It was really like force of will or bust. A lot of people just opened their packs, looked for the force, and threw everything out. So when you actually go around and look at the quote-unquote garbage piles, there were like regal forces and like other 5 to $10 cards that uh, aren't so popular uh, in the garbage piles. So people were really honing in on those like foil Krakus, foil Jaces, <laughs> and foil force of wills. But there are a lot of valuable quote-unquote junk rares and uncommon so uh, make sure you actually check your check your pack and don't go full tilt i haven't quite witnessed that so <laughs> i can't say the same but i could see that happening uh seth what what are your impressions so far well first to piggyback on what richard said i learned that some of the tokens are actually really expensive too the spirit tokens yeah. like five or six bucks the elementals like two or three bucks so make sure to check your token slot as well because some of those are worth holding on to uh, but so far, I've been pretty impressed with the set. I'm kind of holding out judgment until it releases on Magic Online. I haven't actually right. played with it yet. I've heard that the draft format is really awesome. Uh, so I'm excited to be able to check it out. I think it comes out the end of the week. But, I mean, it's done its job for the most part. Like, it yeah. is what it is. It's a good master set. It has brought down prices of some expensive cards. It is increase the supply of some legacy cards and lots of commander cards so i think overall it's a success exactly what you said seth and we did touch on this last week that it's a master set it it definitely holds up to how these master sets are constructed bringing down some of the prices of these cards uh i guess you know getting some exposure to another to all kinds of formats whether it be cube uh, legacy even some modern cards in there it, it does help in that regard, and I, I think it's successful on that front. I haven't drafted it, but, I mean, everyone who knows me, I don't really draft, period. So, like, definitely <laughs> not going to be spending the extra money to draft this set. But I do – It was it, Richard's an interesting thought, and, I, and we did touch on this also, Seth. I think all of us did, is that it is kind of like that. Some of these cards, like, how many mana crypts do you need? Like, how how much – demand is going to be there for some of these cards once they get a reprint like regal force is not like a terrible card and to to have anyway for a cube or legacy or what have you or edh it's those kind of cards that tank drastically that i mean when you pull regal force out of a pack it is kind of like a bummer 
when you compare it to a lot of these other staples, and I guess that's always going to remain true. We we look at prices and like basically Caracas and Force of Will hasn't haven't really moved at all. Obviously, you have the foil prices, uh, you know, taken into account here, and those are going to fluctuate kind of wildly as more packs are opened, whether they go down or up. You know, first foil printings and stuff like that. But for the most part, I mean, the prices have gone down, and it does beg to question that. It's not like in a modern Masters where, you know, you're opening up a lot of different stuff and there's a lot to take away from a good amount of the the set that some of these cards are just not as, you know, substantial. Kind of. I, I think a lot of players think that and that's because they don't play the other half of what the the set releases, uh, Cube, Commander, like Regal Forces of Beating and Commander. Of course. Uh, but if you don't play Commander, you're like, what is this big green dork? <laughs> right? So so there are a lot of cards for those players. Uh, so if you're primarily like a legacy player, a lot of this will be, you know, junk to you, right? But for those other players, these cards are valuable. So be on the lookout for those cards. But uh, if you're like a modern player, then like all of these cards are kind of useless to you. Uh, legacy players, only the chase cards. You know, the, the $10 cards you didn't really care about, that wasn't... That wasn't the, the the cards that were stopping you from building your deck, right? It was really the four hundred dollar force wills, uh, <laughs> yeah. Playset, so they, they you kind of eye in on those. Overall, uh, you know the the lesser cards, you know, even if a card goes from eight dollars to four dollars, that's still a four dollar savings, and over a playset, that's still a significant amount. So, uh, it helps a bit for the the low end of legacy, but I think commander players will will get a lot from this. And I think that's that's it right there, Richard. It's definitely helping the low end of Legacy and a lot of EDH players. And I think that's a great kind of wrap up to it because you're right. Like even like a card like Argothian Enchantress. Like if people don't, obviously a lot of people don't play Enchantress out there. And I'm just using this as an example. But to to save money on something like that that was kind of obscure but still costed a kind of you know it, it did cost quite a. A, a bit, I think around what the ten to fifteen range. I could be wrong. Was it more? Yeah, it's about fifteen ish before. Okay, so I mean that is kind of annoying. Where now you could probably pick up foils for not much more than that, and and kind of help out a little bit to you know if you wanted to foil out Argothian Enchantress or something like that. You know maybe those prices have come down enough where you know it is it is a savings. I mean it is a savings over a playset, and you don't have to shell out that much. And on the flip side, like you said exactly, like the EDH players. All right, you don't have to spend like an obscure amount of money, like again, like fifteen to twenty bucks on a regal force. You could spend like five bucks, and that's a substantial drop. And I, and I think that the price decreases. It really depends on the deck for Legacy. Yeah. Uh, there's there's certain decks that received a lot of reprints, and if you add together like the cumulative decrease of all the cards in those decks, like Shardless Bug, you got Jace reprinted, Wasteland reprinted, Shardless Agent reprinted. Um, Baleful Strix reprinted, Sylvan Library potentially is in the deck. So if you add up like 10 bucks off each of those, 20 bucks off the playset, it's a couple hundred dollars like cheaper to build that deck now than it was before. So I think that it, it just really depends. Then there's other decks that basically got very few reprints or no reprints and Eternal Masters didn't really do anything to make those decks cheaper. So overall, again, just like a master set, we're all very pleased. I think it definitely hit the mark. Uh, kudos to Wizards, and I'm sure we'll be seeing another Eternal Master set somewhere down the line, uh, just to kind of mimic what they do with 
modern masters it might be an alternating kind of thing every other year i i'm predicting uh that is but i think it was a success and on as, as much as i don't like how green was crafted in this set uh i do think overall it was a big success so yeah, and just from an all-around standpoint, especially a financial standpoint, where again you're spending, you're you're saving. What Seth said on the cumulative, you you are saving a substantial amount of money. Do you guys think we'll actually get one in two more years? Like, what cards do they have left to print? Like, there there are a couple handfuls, but do you have enough to make an entire set again? I think you would have to branch out into modern a little bit. Just just like they did this time, like you could throw in like a heritage druid type of card from modern and use it for legacy. And at the same time, like a lot of the chase cards, Force of Will, Jace, uh, maybe even Sneak Attack, cards like that are kind of like Tarmogoyf in Modern Masters, yeah. where they probably yeah. could do Force again, and the price is still going to be high two years from now if they wanted to reprint those some of those cards again. Right, and you still have some big... You, you still have Rashad and Poor. You have like uh, show and tell you have those kind of cards that still were on the outside looking in. So it'd be nice to throw those in there. I don't know if it could be every two years for the next decade or something though. Like modern masters, you always have like two True. new years of standard sets with cards to reprint. Right. It doesn't really work the same way in legacy just because so few cards impact the older formats. So I don't know if they could do it as consistently as Modern Masters without running out of stuff. I think they can do another one, but they might have to make it every three or four years instead of every two years if they're going to do this consistently for the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah, that does make sense. Uh, yeah, that, that, makes a, that draws out a better timeline then. I do agree with that. Don't worry, Seth. We always got Eldrazi. Thought not to hear <laughs> the face card of Eternal Masters 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interestingly whenever they had the big legacy gps this weekend and uh usually you hear people complain about miracles in uh in top because everyone apparently except me hates that card in that deck but there was almost as many complaints about eldrazi there were a lot of people really upset about eldrazi in legacy which was kind of surprising because i didn't realize that was such a big deal but <laughs> it almost is like the same exact complaints as it was modern like you're playing two mana four fours and like three mana five five so yeah it's kind of like bringing a gun to a knife fight like all, all the legacy players have this like gentleman's agreement right like the only <laughs> creature is tarmogoyf and we will fight with force of wills uh you know ad nauseum and tarmogoyfs and then you know we always had nick fit you know people just play like primeval titan and drag tusk but those decks kind of suck so no one actually cared but now so the Eldrazi deck is actually good enough to tangle with the big boys. And now your sideboard is so stressed, right? Now you have to deal with a 5-5 five, five trample haste. Like, who wants to do deal with this, right? No one, right? So so that's why everyone hates Eldrazi. It's like, oh, God, now, now I have to have, like, interactive creature spells? Like, what is this? Yeah, And you're <laughs> telling me I have to discard a card when I deal with it? What is this? What's this magic? What is this sorcery? And your and your two mana five five takes a card away from my hand. What, what's up with that? That I can't lightning bolt it or abrupt decay it. Yeah, abrupt decay, lightning bolt. It, it's like you know how vintage everything revolves around mental misstep. <laughs> yeah. If they somehow got you like a four converted mana cast card that you can actually cast, it would just kind of break the format. Like that's what Eldrazi is kind of doing. You know, miracles are sitting there. They have counterbalance. They have top. 
they don't have any four converted mana cost five converted <laughs> <Literally>. cost cards <laughs> yeah, to or, counter yeah. your Eldrazi with, right? We have to ban Ayavugan in Legacy as well. <laughs> so, so follow up question, Richard. Do you think this means there's room for more like big creature decks? Like, could there be another Eldrazi out there? Could you be playing Thundermaw Hellkite and Stormbeth Dragon? And like, could well, I, that work in Legacy now I that it's kind of working was, with? Yeah. I saw there was some Nick fit with uh, that commander card, and I know that it was a screenshot. I think it was by Corbin that was uh, covering it. That like it looked like a it looked like an EDH game, but it was like a legacy game. And I was like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's basically Nick fit. It, it's veteran explorer. So when veteran explorer dies, you can ramp two basics, both players, and you couple that with Cabal Therapy. Uh, which lets you sacrifice a creature. So you use Cabal Therapy to disrupt your opponent, ramp up, and then play Thragtusk and Primeval Titan and other standard staples that no one can deal with. <laughs> so it, it kind of does the, it kind of does the Aldrazi plan, but instead of using the fast lands, it uses Veteran Explorer. And that deck is okay. Like it, it gets run over by like combo decks, but if you play another fair deck, it, it tangles pretty well. Uh, but Eldrazi is just kind of a, a better version of it. Uh, more disruption and crazier creatures. Uh, but there, there's always been room for these weird creature decks. They just haven't been so popular. I think we can move into fish mail, to be honest. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, we have a lot of them. We will talk about Eternal Masters a lot during the fish yeah, mail. Yeah, we will. Yes. Um, but let's let's get to it. So, at ChadisMC, uh, how would you suggest starting... In MTG Finance, in order to supplement some of the costs for maintaining a collection, uh, paper and online. Well, I mean, I don't think you like start really anywhere in, I guess, the quotations of MTG Finance. I mean, it, it, I guess it first starts with your card evaluation. And I think that comes with just general uh, knowledge of the game, just uh, kind of how long you've been playing the game, that you just notice trends and just notice like, how good a card could be. That's just the start of it. And then obviously following certain trends throughout the year, like rotations and, and just stuff like that. I think that's a very good foundation building block. Like just no looking, sitting down, evaluating a card, even if the rest of the populace doesn't necessarily agree with you and, and see it your way. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to go out and buy like 500 copies. The way I would start is like, if you see a card, like, I'll just use a recent one, like Tireless Tracker or something like that, which is kind of a knock. It was kind of innocuous when it was released and when it was spoiled, but it was inherently a, a powerful card. That's the kind of card where, all right, well, I will just buy four of those or eight of those, you know, a set for myself or a set for, you know, just to sell if in case this goes off. That if you're spending a low risk, like a dollar fifty, they were pre-ordering for. I think that's a pretty good way to kind of get into it i wouldn't be looking at cards with a very high buy-in price because that's just kind of how you get burned i would kind of look at well this doesn't seem like a dollar card this kind of seems like it could be better than that and then just following the trends like i said uh throughout the year is a very good foundation and then you just build from that yeah for me when you're just learning and starting in finance and even after your experience it's more about learning the just the trends and how things work like the way mtg finance works is actually very consistent there's certain things that happen every single year both in paper on magic online but 
there's just very guaranteed money to be made when there's a flashback draft and the price yeah. of a card drops 20, 30, 40% every single time. If you look over, that might be an exaggeration, but 90% of the time, if it's a heavily played chase card within six months, that's going to be back up near its previous price. It happens just about every time. So learn things like that. Learn the seasonal, uh, Usually at rotation is where you see big increases over the summer is when a lot of cards are at their low points. There's a lot of influences and things that happen consistently every year. And if you learn those, it can take away some of the the risk in having to evaluate cards. Because if you're brand new to Magic, and I agree with Chaz, you should learn uh, to evaluate cards. But if you're just starting off, it's pretty difficult. Like, it takes a lot of knowing yeah. magic and years of experience to, like, me and Chaz have been doing this a long time. And we were just talking last week about how we both underrated Nahiri. And yep. it's even people that have been doing this a long time miss on cards. But if you learn some of those easy tricks of flashback drafts and rotations and stuff, it kind of takes that out of it. You go into easy mode where you don't even have to evaluate the card. You're just playing up these, like, supply and demand forces that are going to happen regardless of your card evaluation skill. And you do learn like more just from reading rather than reading specifically kind of finance stuff, because I think you just need a broader sense and understanding of the game before you get into that nuanced uh, part of the game. One of the best things you can do is take the time to learn why cards are good, why certain cards are good, even more so than reading like, people specific articles and stuff. I know it took me a long time when yeah. I first started playing. Uh, I would know that a card was valuable, but I wouldn't necessarily understand why it was valuable, mm. uh, especially in older formats and modern and formats where you might not play. So there's a lot to be gained with just uh, looking over deck lists and figuring out why are some of these cards, the prices that they are, because then when you're evaluating cards in the future, you can use those lessons to evaluate uh, newly spoiled cards where you don't have deck lists to go over, don't have tournament results to analyze and so forth. All right. Uh, moving on, we have at Myth K612. Uh, I pulled a foil force of will. Uh, congratulations. Congrats. 340 on eBay. <laughs> Sell now or wait. Uh, how, will it go up? How long should I wait? Because of the art, because of everything, I think one of these might actually, I mean, you could hold on to these foreseeably for a long time and not, you know, not worry about it. Yeah, my only concern would be what we were talking about before. Yes. That Force of Will seems like the kind of card that could be in the next Eternal Masters, and if they did the same art and there were more foils then that could be a bad thing. But otherwise, uh, Foil Force of Will is a, a fine card to hold. If you want your money, you're fine to cash it out, but you could hold sure. it for a year or five years. And as long as they don't reprint it again with that art, then I think you're pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think with the timeline of like Eternal Masters, obviously I don't think it'll be out within a year. And whether you sell now or wait a year, that specifically a year, I don't know like when the the frequency of these sets are going to come out. I, I don't think you're doing yourself an injustice. I mean, whether you sell it now or wait a year, it'll yield the same results. Rather, you know, I don't think it'll drop significantly. All right. Yep. Uh, at Andrew Coel, uh, why don't I look to grab up a few Eternal Masters cards uh, for Commander? Uh, divining top, tutors, etc. 
Uh, also, follow up. I'm new to Commander. What are the Commander staples in Eternal Masters? I would say within the first month is likely the best time to to grab these because that's when the largest, what you know, like when the supply is kind of largest for something like an Eternal Master set. And just historically, looking at uh, modern Master sets, that first month is really when you kind of want to look for deals and and get in while. The prices are in flux and usually lower than normal. It's after that, like after that kind of second month where things stabilize, and if if anything, those just start trending back if they're true staples. Uh, in terms of EDH, I don't know Regal Force. That's the only one I know. <laughs> I'll look for some others. There's a really sweet metagame sweep of Commander on MTG Salvation that's updated yeah. every month. So if you wanna just see. Uh, what cards are popular and they go, they have it broken down just in general and like weighted list and by colors. It's really cool. But some yeah. of the big ones, uh top is like a top 10 card in EDH. The tutor cycle, especially enlightened tutor is like a top 20 card counterspell, Sylvan library, vampiric tutor, brainstorm, mana crypt. Those are all like top 50 cards, even like fact and, Factor Fiction. Uh, so there's quite a few staples, but the big ones are, as far as rares, are probably Top, Sylvan Library, and Vampiric Tutor. So those would be the the staples. As far as picking them up, I would probably pick them up over the next month or two. Maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, when everyone's focusing on uh, Standard with the new set coming out in a month. So sometime in that time frame, I wouldn't wait super long especially if you're looking at the staples. If you want to pick up the random $2 rares, I don't think it matters much, but for things like Top and Sylvan Library, I would try to do that sooner rather than later. Yeah, to add to that, uh, not that if I'm adding any valuable information, but Toxic Deluge, uh, even Dual Caster Mage, I've seen. So similar question from at DC Poncho. Uh, when is a good time to pick up foil EMA singles? Uh, is there anything different between foil and non-foils for the time Ooh, frame? This could go either way. I, I mean, I would say the same time frame because especially with those like first foil printings, you never know like within a month, you know, people are starting to buy them. Then all of a sudden they jump considerably like, I don't know, I'll just use this as an example like uh, Pyroblast. I think those are sitting around like 50 bucks. I mean, that those could easily be eighty dollars if you know the the market dictates that the the first foil printings are kind of weird but i would say foils uh will likely be at their lowest point you know to coincide with the normal prices yeah that that sounds about right to me i'd wait a couple more weeks for the supply to get out there and then and then pick them up in the like month following that okay uh we have tom simons Legacy Gauntlet decks with Rashad and Port use the Judge promo art. Uh, is a reprint still incoming? I think so. I mean, I think it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And I do think it would use the Judge promo art. I think we've discussed this also, Seth. I think that's just kind of like a shoe, and they'll definitely use that art. Yeah, it'll definitely happen, although I don't think the fact that they're using it for the Gauntlet right. really matters. They tend to, like, in cubes and the Gauntlet and stuff like to use the cool promo looking version i don't i guess they think it looks better or whatever but that's kind of normal if there's a cube for or a uh, flashback or gauntlet type event that they would use promo art but they definitely will reprint it there's 
There's, it's the most expensive card on Magic Online. It's in demand in paper, and it's not on the reserve list. So sooner or later, they're going to make a ton of money selling a product with port. The question is when? It could be all the way till the next Eternal Masters in a couple years. So Could be. Yeah. Um, as long as they don't use that Roots art. <laughs> Never Roots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a paper reprint would be very far out. We're waiting for Eternal Masters, unless we're doing From the Vault Lands. Uh, so I assume this will go in uh, either like a prize pack, um, a, a VMA if they do another one, or, or just some weird Magic Online products because uh, this card is actually stifling the, the legacy metagame. <laughs> like you, you literally cannot play a deck because do you want to drop $800 on a playset <laughs> of Rashad Imports before you've done anything else? I could be wrong, like from the Vault Realms or w- which one was that with like yeah, Rove in there? Yep. That was like all lands, wasn't it? I it's time to do Realms 2.0 so. just for Richard. <laughs> it's time just to do flashback drafts for <laughs> Rashad and Port again. From the Vault, Rashad and Port, and it's just a Rashad and Port in a big box. It's from the Vault <laughs> Damnation, and inside it's just a Rashad and Port. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the problem with the flashback drafts is the format is so bad that no one drafts it, even though you can open a 200 ticket oh port. My it's, it is the worst draft format Masks probably was, ever made. Masks was miserable. Remember Tempest Remastered? What if they do uh, Masks Remastered, <laughs> where they go back and try to fix the format and give you reprints of these cards? That would be obviously nice, but... That would be better. I think... The most likely short-term thing that I could see happening really soon is that they announce it as the Mox promo. Uh, right now, we had Liliana the Veil for the first oh, yeah, part of the year. The problem is the way they have the Mox set up now, very few people actually get the promos, so it doesn't isn't going to do much to help with the supply. Uh, so they need to do a, a more heavy supply reprint than that to really fix the problem. But I would not be surprised if they announce like the fall Mox promo is port. So, like, 50 Platinum Pros would get it, and that's it? Uh, <laughs> yes. It, they, they actually have it listed among their Platinum benefits. You get this much per event and a Richardin for <laughs> At Ocelorian, how long would you recommend I wait before selling cards uh, on Magic Online from Flashback Drafts? Uh, well, the easiest answer is as long as possible. Just, uh... Kind of keep track of the. Really though, I've done some research on it, and for really heavily played, like modern staple type cards, they usually bounce back in a couple of months to maybe seventy five percent of their before draft price. Uh, and then for cards that are kind of like somewhat played or like archetype, not true staples, but they are playable, it can be up to maybe six months. But there's a lot of factors that go into it. Like, is it the first set in a block that was drafted for three weeks or the last set in a block that's only drafted for one week? The supply is a lot different. So that's a really simplistic answer. But in general, the longer you hold, the more they... <laughs> They will go back up, so somewhere between two and six months, depending on a bunch of factors that I can't really completely list out uh, on the podcast. All right. Uh, From the big slop, uh, for Budget Magic, what do you think the cost flux is in average? Uh, In this case, they're referring to the price spike. (laughs) So it starts at 20 ticks and goes to 33 ticks. What is your comment on that, Mr. Safranov? What is the average? Uh, that's a hard question. The thing I will say is it's, it's unfortunate that that happens. It's a bunch of people rushing to 
buy the deck all at once. And if you look back at the decks like a week or two later, it's almost always back into the range of where it's listed in the title. So it's yeah. a temporary thing. So I know it. it's hard to delay gratification, but an easy solution if you don't want to spend more <laughs> money on it is just to like wait a week or two to buy the deck and the price will go back down. Uh, so it's usually a short-term thing, and it really depends on the deck. Some are more popular than others, but I would say that most decks increase between 50 and 100%, or maybe would be the average over the short term, and then go back down to where they were before. Yeah, I I, I have to say something. I, I feel really bad that that happens because of your articles. It really isn't. I, honestly, no, no. I I've said it before on Twitter. Uh, to a few people and I've I've honestly like had words with a couple people that use that as a strategy and it's kind of annoying I mean it is really annoying that that happens but um, I'm glad at least like you know well enough to you know tell people who want to play your decks uh, especially from from your series that uh, if you just wait a little bit of time usually the prices go back down and it is hard for people who you know want to jump in and have fun with the deck but I mean, there are people that are looking to, I mean, that sounds bad, but they literally like kind of like follow you around or follow you on, on what you're doing with these decks and like buy up these cards. And it's just unfortunate. And I, it's, it's unfortunate for the people who want to play those decks. I'm sorry. I just, it, it bothers me sometimes. I don't know. I definitely wish it didn't happen. Uh, and yeah. I guess I would also say is, I've spent quite a bit of time thinking about a way to make it not happen, and I haven't been able to come up no, there's, with there's nothing a good one. And it's a weird feeling because, on one hand, if the at this point, if the price of the deck doesn't change, it kind of means people don't really like the deck, and I didn't do a very good job with the deck. So even though I wish it didn't happen... When it does happen, it's a sign that a lot of people think the deck is cool, which makes me feel kind of good. But then I feel bad because those people are having a hard time actually getting the deck to play with. So it's there's a lot of mixed emotions that go into that. But overall, it's a bad thing, and I wish it wouldn't happen, but I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is, like like Richard said, if, if a deck goes from, like, 20 to 33 ticks or something, like you said, Richard, I mean, that's not terrible. I mean, it is kind of annoying, but um, are, are the... I don't know from a deck to deck basis, but are the spikes that, you know, uh, substantial? Are they even more than that sometimes? Or is that usually kind of like the range? From what I've seen, the, the prices usually jump like 10 to 20 ticks. Uh, usually the lower the deck starts, the more it will jump. Uh, if, if the deck starts at like 100 ticks, you probably won't even see a price movement. Uh, and. You know, we, we try to be transparent, which is why we list the original price. Just to, no, like if you sat down and tried to play Budget Magic and thought of this deck, it would have been this much money, right? But we could easily just remove the original price and just say, here's a Budget Magic deck that's 30 tickets, right? Instead of saying, oh, it used to be 20, now it's 30, right? And at the end of the day, 30 ticks is still a budget, right? So that's why uh, we try to keep the prices really low. And even after the initial surge in demand, it's still pretty budget, right? It's still just 30 ticks. You know, people kind of just meme off this. Like, people always say the price will go through the roof and, you know, the market's being manipulated and whatnot. But it's still a 30 ticket deck. It's still super budget, right? And we try to be transparent, which is why we keep everything out there. So Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully uh, people understand. And, you know, there's some people manipulating the market, but there's other people that just really want to play the deck. And natural demand uh, is 
the majority of the reason uh, for this price spike. The funny thing is, if the 20 tick deck that went to 33 ticks, if I just made a 33 tick deck, no one would care because they would think <laughs> it was budget. But because it started at 20 ticks and increased, yeah. it creates this like feel bad where people feel like they're like getting in on it late and paying more than they should. When if it was just 33 ticks to begin with, no one would have a problem with it. So maybe part yeah. of it's psychology, I think, as well. Yeah, that's true. And I guess shame on the people who use that as a strategy i'll just say that i'll leave it at that it is it is very annoying from at bit bot are matches of momir a good way to practice board states this is a timely question i'm a big momir supporter but mrs mulligan a streamer who's also now writing on star city games she just published an article today actually about how playing momir made her a better magic player mostly for that reason or that was a big part of it so yes i think that's very true uh, playing momir will help you improve at magic and a good way to practice combat math and board states and that stuff all right at lsv fanboy uh, how does someone interested in writing and creating magic the gathering content begin doing so uh, also how did you guys get your start in such things i you know, made a WordPress blog and just started writing. Uh, I also used uh, Impeopled for quite some time. And then, you know, I kind of just branched out. You just need to keep writing and, you know, contact people who, you know, are, are on these sites. I don't know, like, if you're just starting out, obviously, might not behoove you to, like, contact Star City Games. That might not go your way for quite some time. But, um, I mean, you just got to put yourself out there and just start writing uh, make sure that you have at least tolerable, I guess, gr- grammar and sentence structure, or you will likely get not a lot of views, um, and people will not tolerate your work uh, as much. But uh, I mean, in terms of just that, yeah, I just like I, I talked to Richard about the podcast. I, you know, they were Seth and I and Richard were all for it, and we just decided to do it. So I mean, that's just like just taking the steps to do it. Yeah, I mean, my advice is actually kind of the same. It's just a matter of doing it. Like, if you want to write articles and make videos for YouTube, then start writing articles and making videos for YouTube. I think that's that's the biggest thing. Uh, For me, I started writing articles mostly on finance stuff and posting them on Reddit. And that's how Richard got to know my writing and stuff. And eventually he asked me if I wanted to write on Goldfish. And it kind of just spiraled from there to doing videos and all this stuff. But when I look back on it, the thing that made that all possible was the fact that I was writing these articles and posting them on Reddit for whoever wanted to read them to read them. And if I hadn't been, you know, for no money and just for fun, because I love doing it, like that was the only reason I was doing it. If I hadn't been doing that, uh, the opportunities that came afterwards never would have came. So even if it feels like you're only writing on Reddit or on a blog that not that many people are reading. That's the first step towards all the other stuff you want to be doing. So keep doing that and improving and finding your voice and honing your craft. And uh, who knows what will come after that. Yeah, and I mean, just be passionate about what you're writing about. I mean, that's just a, a good part of the battle, too. I mean, if you're not passionate about writing about your hobby and you really love your hobby and you follow, I mean, no one else is going to be uh, enthusiastic either. So, and yeah, like, and, and on the same, on the flip side of that, don't be, I guess, don't succumb and don't feel bad. Like if you get some, 
I guess, harsh criticism I'll use uh, when it's not even really criticism. Like just people are out there just to just be toxic and bash and don't don't give into that. If if someone comes in with some critical, uh, you know, even if it's a little harsh, just some critical feedback, you know, take that into account. Don't just immediately dismiss that. Sometimes even harsh criticism is is going to be very good criticism, but just blatant trolling or flaming is is not going to be uh, beneficial. So just kind of ignore that. All right. Uh, from at Alcar, uh, I do not own Collected Company, but I want them uh, due to modern playability. When should I pick them up? After rotation. I th- yeah, I would that's, say after rotation. Yeah, but don't look. Don't look at like you're not going to be getting a huge discount on them. Like they're not going to suddenly be ten dollar cards. Will they be you know a little less? You know, expensive probably. They'll be a little less expensive, but again, I'm not foreseeing a huge price drop after rotation. But yeah, I would. Yeah, just wait. Like Seth said. All right, and last question from Tomaz. Uh, I decided to bite the bullet and get into Paper Modern. Uh, I started with the playset of Goifs. Everything else will be much easier after that. Smiley face. They feel like a safe investment. Uh, what deck should I build out of these Goyfs to start out relatively cheap and competitive? You are right about t- the Tarmogoyf being a, a, the big investment and like it is safe and all that. The, the problem is that Goyf decks are still expensive around that card. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess Jund. Yeah, oh, the most no. expensive deck in the format. Where when you remove the Goyfs, the deck is still more expensive than there, other decks. I mean, well, what other Goyf decks really are there? Like Jun, Junk, uh, Rug maybe, but that's still kind of expensive. Jun, Junk, some Zoo variants, but those are usually pretty expensive. Uh, basically, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> if, if you're Because Time of Goyf is a fair card. And when you play a deck of fair cards, you need the best fair cards in each slot, uh, which pretty much means your entire deck is expensive. Uh, but I can't even think of. I was gonna say like the the red the red green aggro list with like Gore Clan Rampager uh, Experiment One. I think that plays Goyf. That's the deck I was gonna say. I don't yeah. think it's Jun level good, but there is a Goyf. Like zoo build with burning tree emissaries, Nakatles, Kurt apes, the, that kind of stuff. Path to Exiles, Atarka's command. That's probably the cheapest and most competitive for being cheap deck you can build. Yeah. But even that, you're going to be. I'm looking at the a version of it right now when it's like thirteen hundred bucks if you're going to oh. get all the right fetches. So even with five hundred and sixty dollars of that being goif, you're still going to have to double your investment to build that deck. But that's still cheaper than building like Jund or something, where you got to get Liliana's and all that stuff as well. Yeah, and given that it sounds like you want to play Jund, uh, you might as well just start building towards it. Because uh, <laughs> if if you start going off on tangents, like if you build Naya Zoo, true, you're gonna end up spending a lot of money on the other cards, right? So if you know you're gonna end up playing Jund, uh, then just play Jund. And, and start building towards that. And you can skimp out on the mana base a bit. You can skimp out. Uh, you, you can play budget inquisitions by playing thought seizes. <laughs> you can cut down <laughs> the Liliadas and stuff like that. So you, you can skimp on the deck a bit uh, to get there. Or, you know, if you want to play Abzan or something, something like that, uh, you could. But trying to 
go multiple colors, multiple directions, you can end up spending a lot of money uh, if that's not what your final deck is going to be. Right. You can skimp on Liliana, play like Nissa Voices Endicar. <laughs> Just play Gatekeeper Malachi. Basically the same yeah. thing. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Richard, so you play Jund. The Discounting Verdant Catacombs, which I think you could play another greening fetch land as a budget substitute, a cons one. Uh, Liliana is the killer. Like, that's for three copies. It's right now $330. Could you play without Liliana and still be competitive and successful? You could, but it won't be as good. Uh, You know, some people play four Lilies. You can go down to three Lilies. Still acceptable. But Liliana is a really powerful card. Um, so without it, your deck won't be as good, but you could try loading up on other two for ones, like maybe some more Coligan's commands. Uh, you could try going a bit bigger. You can play like Garrick Relentless or something or Chandra Pyromaster. Uh, so there are ways around it, but it is an expensive card for a reason. It's, it's one of the best cards in the deck. And it, and it serves a lot of functions, obviously, in the deck. That's why it's... Yeah. It, it gives you a game against both combo control decks and aggro decks, which is why it's worth so much that about cover that about covers all <laughs> it, it the of that. everything but lingering souls it does like everything but stop lingering <laughs> lingering souls in modern literally everything you could think of in modern except winter, lingering souls liliana takes care of <laughs> so yeah no you can't skimp on that oh that was it that's all of them that's all of our fish mail all right sweet we did it so next week is eldritch moon I don't that, think so. Is that correct? No. I, how start, how could it possibly be Eldritch Moon? I thought they started on the 20th. That's well, what I thought as well. But Well, uh, this is news to me. I didn't know they were hyping the 20th. I, I definitely did not see that. So if they're hyping the 20th for something, then then that's my bad. But it didn't make sense. I don't know if they're hyping it. I think I read it in a random Reddit thread, which was not fact-checked. So... Oh, so then... <laughs> but I, I, thought, I thought that was the date. Well, no, it, it doesn't make sense. The, I think the pre-release is July 16th and 17th, which, I mean, has, I guess... Yeah, so that's three weeks before, right? No, it should only be two weeks before, right? And it still wouldn't be three weeks next week. It would be the following week, the 27th. But it usually is done the week before pre-release, right? My, I always thought it was <laughs> two weeks before the pre-release, like that first week, and then you get the full spoiler right before the pre-release. I could be wrong, though. Uh, I I don't know. I know something's happening on the 20th because Chaz Anders or whatever wrote an article on the mothership. And it was about the upcoming set and kind of cryptic about maybe Emrakul or something and said, you'll have to wait until the 20th to find out. Like what the answer to all this is. It was like one of his Vorthos flavor articles. So something is happening on the 20th. I don't know what exactly but something is happening on the 20th we're getting emrakul definitely on 20th then that will we'll just get like a big story article and at the end they'll spoil emrakul or something like that i don't think it's going to be like a full day of spoilers maybe we'll just get like one and that'll kind of whet our appetite for the next couple weeks and then the following week, the spoilers would start in earnest. I don't know, but we should have something to talk about next week. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So 20th, I guess. I'll, I will see you guys well, <laughs> well, then on the way out the door, is Emrakul in Innistrad? On Innistrad? I, I, think, I think so, yeah. Yeah, definitely has to be on Innistrad. What do you think, Richard? 
I think so, but I hope not. I, I, I hope they're not so predictable in their storytelling. Okay. But I hope it's Phyrexia for some reason. So I, I, I hope Wizards has thrown us a, a twist and that the most obvious answer of uh, Spaghetti Monsters is not is not the actual answer. Okay. I, I still think it is, but I, I'm sure you'll be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, given what I know about their creative direction, I think it probably is going to be that. But, but maybe they'll throw us a wrench and Phyrexia has corrupted Eldrazi Evercle or something, and here we are. That that would be sweet. <laughs> All right. Okay. I could buy that. Yeah, so uh, I think that about wraps up the cast for this week, and we will do this again next week. So, yeah, this is going to be the cast signing out.